Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. This morning to John, the 19th chapter. John chapter 19. <clears throat> I want to continue on something I started, a, a theme I started last Sunday. And in the 13th, or excuse me, in the 19th chapter of John, in the 28th verse, Jesus is on the cross. And it says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and gave it, or put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. It is finished. Those words are among some of the most famous uh, words Jesus ever spoke. It is finished. And I spent a little bit of time sort of setting this up last week so that we could go further today. But uh, I pointed out that there's, a, there's basically two schools of thought about what Jesus meant when he said, it is finished. And the traditional view is that he was talking about redemption, that redemption was finished. And uh, a lot of people have uh, rightly, uh, I believe, pointed out that in one sense, redemption wasn't finished because Jesus hadn't died yet. Now, now he, he bowed his head and died moments after that. But when he said it, he hadn't died. Not only that, he hadn't been raised from the dead. Remember the apostle Paul said, if Jesus is still dead, if he hasn't been raised, then you're still dead in your sins. So the resurrection of Christ was part of redemption. His ascension was part of redemption. His seating at the Father's right hand was part of redemption, wasn't it? So in that sense, the, all of the work of redemption wasn't completed. But notice Jesus said, before he said it is finished, he said, it says, after this Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. In other words, in, in Jesus' earthly ministry, in everything he did, in, in the 17th chapter of John, we won't turn over there, but in the 17th chapter of John, in what is referred to as Jesus' high priestly prayer, where he prayed uh, uh, to the Father and prayed for us and so forth, he said in, in one of the uh, beginning verses, like verse one, two, or three right in there, he said, Father, I have finished everything you gave me to do. Well, see, in his earthly ministry, in his teaching, in the example that he set, in the sinless life that he lived, fulfilling all of the prophecies that had been given about, about Messiah and about his coming, his birth and his, his life and, and so forth, he said, I've accomplished all of that. And in one sense, uh, we pointed this out. Turn with me over to Luke's gospel. Let's look at this as well. This ties in real well. Luke chapter 23. 
Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John all record Jesus' last final words. But Luke records something that the others do not record. And in verse number 44, Luke 23, 44, says it was about the sixth hour and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. That was from about noon to about 3 p.m. Then the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit, I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. So you have to put those two things together. He said, it is finished. And then he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he died. What he was saying was, I've done everything I can do. I have, and like I said in the 17th chapter of John, he said, I have fulfilled all the work you gave me to do. I've completed the assignment. And now he said, I commit myself, my spirit into your hands. He was saying, Father, from this point on, it's up to you. Because see, Jesus had been made sin at this point. Jesus had taken on the sins of the world. At this point, he had just before this, he had said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which being interpreted as, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When he was hanging on the cross, bleeding from head to toe, from the scourging, from the, the, the uh, crucifixion, from all of the, uh, of the trauma that he went through, all of the blood that was draining out of his body, he was shedding that blood for our sins. And at that point, Jesus suffered the consequences of our sin. Now, the Bible says that the wages of sin, Romans, if, you, if you're a follower of the Roman track, you know, uh, Roman, Romans uh, 6.23, I think it is, it says, for the wages of sin is death. Well, Jesus, if he suffered for our sins, and, and the Bible says he suffered for our sins, if he suffered for our sins, then he had to suffer the consequences of our sins. Are you following me? He had to take upon himself the consequences of our sins. Go with me over to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. Now, this is what I'm talking about right now is something that you don't hear very often. And because people haven't delved into it, some people, when they hear it, they want to kind of bristle against it because they think it's saying, it's saying something we're not saying. But it's very profound what happened to Jesus. In Isaiah 53, of course, this is the great uh, chapter on, on uh, uh, the sacrifice of Christ. And in verse number six, it says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Well, just stop and think for a minute about, about your own life before you were saved or perhaps since you've been saved. What kind of iniquity were you guilty of? 
What, what sorts of things have, have just in this room, not, not looking outside in the whole world, but just in this room, what kind of iniquities might we be talking about? It says here, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Every person who's ever lived from the most religious and moral and upright person to the most depraved animal human you've ever thought of. The Lord, God, laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. Now, my lexicon, Hebrew lexicon, makes this statement. It says that this word iniquity in the Hebrew means iniquity. We know what that means. But it also means the guilt of iniquity. Have you ever thought about the fact that your guilt was laid on him? I'm so grateful that he took my guilt. He not only took my iniquity, he took the guilt of my iniquity. I don't have to be guilty anymore. I don't, and I don't tolerate, I don't tolerate thoughts or emotions or reminders of the past or anything that tries to make me the slightest in the slightest way have any sense of guilt or condemnation. No, my condemnation and guilt was laid on him. It goes on to say, it said this word iniquity meant three things. It meant iniquity, but it also meant the guilt of iniquity and it meant, I can see this, the consequences of our punishment for iniquity. The consequences of iniquity and the punishment for iniquity. God laid on Christ Jesus, our wonderful Savior, this holy, spotless, sinless God-man who never sinned. There was no spot, no wrong in him, deserving of no judgment. God laid our iniquities, he laid the guilt of our iniquity and he laid the consequences and punishment for our iniquity on him. Well, we know that there are a lot of consequences of sin. But ultimately, like I said, Romans 6 says the wages of sin is death. That's not talking just about physical death. It includes physical death, but it's primarily talking about spiritual death. Because the prophet said your sins have separated you from your God. And that's what spiritual death is. It's separation from God. Alienation, being cut off from the life of God. Being alienated, being separated from God. Spiritual death does not mean cessation of existence. It doesn't mean that. We think of death in, in, a, in the sense of cessation because when someone's physical body dies, it just it's, it completely stops functioning. And, and given the natural process, it'll just rot away and, and return to the flesh and be no more, just be dust. So it's, it's, it's the annihilation. We think of death in the sense of, of, of annihilation, total ending, total destruction, and it's over and there's no consciousness. Spiritual death doesn't mean that. 
Spiritual death is separation from God's life, from God, from God himself. You and I are spirits. We're created in God's image. And the characteristic of, of spirit beings, we're in the same class God's in. God is a spirit. Well, angels are spirits. Demons are spirits. We're spirits. We have a soul and we live in a physical body, but we are spirit beings. And one of the characteristics of spirit beings is spirits cannot die. They're eternal. They're gonna, your spirit is going to live on in some form, in one place or another, even either in heaven or in hell for eternity. Your spirit man can't be annihilated, can't be done away with. It continues to function. Spiritual death isn't the cessation of your spirit, it's being cut off from God. So everybody understand what spiritual death is. And that is the primary or the most fundamental or you could say the most uh, uh, consequential effect of sin is spiritual death, being cut off from God's presence. And that's exactly what happened to Jesus on the cross. Jesus referred to God as Father every time he spoke to him. In every prayer he ever prayed, every time he ever addressed God, he always said, Father. This was the first time he ever called him God. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was because he had become sin on the cross and he was cut off from God's uh, presence. And God had to turn his back on him and, and darkness fell upon the earth and and. and it also says the veil in the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. We talked about that last week, that that also signified that the old covenant was finished. The old way of doing things, that never again would God accept the sacrifices of an animal. In fact, if, you, if you're a student of history, you'll, you'll know that within a few years after the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, all temple sacrifices came to an end and have never been restored. The Jews, as a, as a people, have never offered sacrifices, animal sacrifices, within about 40 years of, of Jesus' crucifixion. It came to an end because that old covenant was over. When that veil of the temple was torn from the top, from the top to the bottom, it signified that God had moved out of that most holy place made by man, some place where man had, had uh, fashioned a place under the instruction and by ins the instruction of God, they had built a tabernacle and a place for God's glory to dwell. Well, his glory moved out of that place. And he would no longer dwell in temples made by hand. He now dwells in the, in the hearts and the spirits of believers. Glory to God. It also signified that our approach to God was no longer cut off. We were no longer alienated and exiled and held out. But according to Hebrews, we can come boldly into the throne of grace. Glory to God. Come boldly before the Father. Oh, hallelujah. There's no separate. So a lot ended that day. And what Jesus had done is he had accomplished everything 
God had given him to accomplish, he was obedient to the letter, to everything God had asked of him. And then he said, Father, hanging on the cross, he said, into your hands I commend my spirit because he knew that he was about to be ushered into the lower places of the earth. Go over with me to to, uh, Ephesians and look at chapter four. Ephesians chapter four. And look at verse eight. Therefore he says when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Parentheses. Now this, he ascended, quote unquote, he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. End of parentheses. It says here that the same one who ascended first descended into the lower parts of the earth. What does that mean? That's not talking about the tomb. You know, in our culture, we bury people six feet under. Isn't that right? Well, there's no way in the world that six feet below the surface of the ground would be considered the lowest or the lower places of the earth. I mean, six feet. Are you kidding? In in. In Galilee and Palestine, when Jesus was there, they didn't bury people six feet under the ground. He was put into a cave, a tomb, that was carved out of the side of the hill. Remember when they came on on resurrection morning looking for him? The stone had been rolled away. He wasn't underground. He was just in a cave. His body had been laid in in a cave that they had made into a tomb. And they had rolled this big stone in front of it, but the angel came and rolled the stone away, not to let Jesus out, but to let them in so they could see what had happened. So again, that couldn't be the lower places of the earth. He who ascended is the same also who first descended into the lower parts of the earth. Go with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 25. For David says concerning him, Acts 2, verse 25. For David says concerning him, talking about Christ, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he is at my right hand that I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my my flesh will also rest in hope. When Jesus said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. When he said that, he said that in faith and in hope. He was resting, his flesh was resting in hope that God would raise him from the dead because he knew there was absolutely nothing he could do about it. He had been made sin. He had been cut off. 
He said, my, in, in his anguish, my God, why have you forsaken me? But then in faith, just before he said, it is finished, he said, or just after he said, it is finished, he said, now, Father, said that in faith. Into your hands I commit my spirit because I'm empty now. I have nothing left. I have poured out everything and now I, I'm cast out from your presence. I don't even have your presence anymore. I have no value. I have no power. I have no resources. I have nothing to draw from. I've given everything up and I have become the sins of this world. But I'm committing myself. I'm committing my spirit into your hands, trusting that you're gonna bring me out See, at, at, at this point, everything Jesus could do, he had done. There's nothing else he could do. It was all up to the Father. Now notice, let's go on. Verse 26, therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh will also rest in hope for you will not leave my soul in hell nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. All these are statements of faith. Jesus said, this is a prophecy of what he would say. You will not leave my soul in hell. Well, that, in, that, that says he, he was in hell. If he wasn't in hell, this has no meaning. It, goes, it says it again. Verse 31, he foreseeing this, talking about David, seeing, foreseeing this, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ that his soul was not left in hell, nor did his flesh see corruption. What, what the church has not really said much about, and when you talk about these things, it alarms people because they've never heard it before. But our wonderful Savior when he was made sin, he, was, he died spiritually. He was cut off from God. He suffered the full consequences of sin and went into hell itself. He went there for you and me. Now, people have, have blistered up, you know, and kind of, uh, rebelled against, ah, I, I can't believe Jesus went to hell. What are you talking about? You're not thinking. You're just reacting emotionally. I say it like this. If there's any consequence of sin, if there's any effect of sin that you owed, that you were destined to suffer because of sin, if there's any degree of it that Jesus didn't suffer, then it's still waiting for you. Anything Jesus didn't suffer, anything in, in his death, burial, and resurrection, if there's any part of sin that he didn't fully experience, any consequence of sin, if he didn't experience it and, and as a sacrifice in your place, then, buddy, it's still waiting on you because somebody's going to have to pay for that. Somebody's going to have to suffer that. Oh, I thank God he suffered it for me. There's nothing awaiting me but life. Oh, glory to God. When I leave this life through rapture or old age, 
When I leave here, glory to God, there's nothing ahead for me but glory because Jesus suffered all of it. He took my curse. He took my guilt. He took the iniquity, the guilt of iniquity, and every consequence, all of the punishment that I deserved and you deserved, he took it. Oh, glory to God. When I leave this body, I I, I have absolute assurance that there's nothing awaiting me but glory. Why? Because of what Jesus did. Not because of what I've done. In spite of what I've done. Why? Because I believe that Jesus took my place. Glory to God. He took it all. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm way off my notes here. That's all right. When he said it is finished, he, he was talking about what he had, had, the father had given him up to that point. Up to that point, he was finished. But the other side of the coin, I'll get back to my message now, the other side of the coin is he wasn't finished. He wasn't finished with everything. Because he still, at this point, he, he, he hadn't died yet. He did just a, a moment later. He hadn't, he hadn't gone to hell yet. The Bible says that Jesus was justified in spirit, made righteous in spirit. We'll, we'll, we'll go, go over to 1 Timothy. Let's look at that. 1 Timothy. Verse 16, without controversy, it's controversial to some people, but not with God. You know, if you just stick with the Bible, it solves all your controversies. Amen. Some people just full of controversy. Everything's controversial. They just want to argue about everything. Just what does the Bible say? If, you're, if your position is whatever the Bible says settles it, then you get all, you, you're free from a lot of controversy. Amen. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. Well, who is that? That's Jesus, right? Justified in spirit. Seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. Jesus was justified in spirit. He was made righteous. That's what the word justify means. It's a, it means it's a verb. It means to make righteous, declare righteous. Well, why would Jesus have to be justified? So we think of justification as something that, that has happened to us, and it has. We've been justified. We've been justified by faith in Christ Jesus, Romans says. Isn't that right? What does that mean? We've been made righteous. We've been declared righteous. We've been, we've been put, brought back into right standing with God. That's what justify means. We've been justified by faith in Christ Jesus. He was raised from the dead because of our justification. But before we were justified, he had to be justified. Why? He had become sin. He had become the sacrifice for sin. He had suffered separation from God, had been ushered into into hell itself. And he was there, subject to all of the dark spirits and inhabitants of hell. They hovered over him. 
The Bible says, had they known, had they known, oh, glory to God, had they known what was about to happen, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. But I'm sure all of the demons and, and, and foul spirits in the dark regions of hell, I, I'm sure they were rejoicing that, oh, this person that, that preached and, and, and testified of the goodness of God, we have him now. He's in our grip. He's, uh, he's, he's been cast out from the presence of God and we have him. Three days, three days, three days. And I, and I don't have scripture for it exactly, but something happened on that third day. There must have been a, a command. There must have been a voice that spoke through the darkness that shook the regions of hell like an earthquake. And, and, and a voice said, come out, declare righteous. His righteousness was restored. Oh, glory to God. When our debts had been paid, the command was given and Jesus was justified in spirit. He was made alive, the Bible says, made alive in spirit. Oh, glory. Woo, you're talking about a shock wave that hit hell that day. That Easter morning, I'm telling you, a shock wave went through hell, the likes of which they've never recovered from. Glory to God. God himself, oh glory, the Holy Spirit of God came back into him. He was declared righteous. He was made alive right there in the, in the very pit of hell, right in, the, in, in, in grand central hell. <laughs> and when God gave that command, you are justified. It's nothing. There, there, there's, there's, there wasn't enough power in the place, in hell itself, to prevent Jesus from being made alive. Oh, glory to God. And I don't care how bad you've been, how much hell you've had, how much hell you've caused, how much hell has been in your life, how much of a hellion you were. When you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, there wasn't enough power in all of hell or all of your background or of anything you've ever done that to, to keep you from being made alive together with him. Oh, glory to God. Oh, hallelujah. God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ, raised us up together, made us sit together, glory to God, in heavenly places in Christ. Nothing about your past, nothing about your family, your friends couldn't stop it, your, your history couldn't stop it, your debt couldn't stop it, your sinful, your iniquities couldn't stop it. When you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you were justified and raised up, made alive with Christ and raised up with him. Oh, glory to God. Oh, hallelujah. 
See, these, these were the things Jesus had yet to do. Now, the, 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 the initial stages of it, he couldn't do anything because he was dead in our trespasses and sins. And it was up to God, the Father. And the Father came through. The Father came through just like he always does. He still comes through. Glory to God. He came through, justified, made him alive, raised him up. Glory to God. Well, Jesus had some more work to do. He wasn't finished. In, in one sense, you know, he, he had been finished of all that from, finished with all God had given him up to the point and the time that he said that, but he was just getting started. Jesus was just getting started. Oh, glory to God. Go over with me to Colossians. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, thank God. You could not make this up. You know, all the, I haven't really studied that much about the religions, you know, different world religions. I've studied a little, you know. But I've studied enough to know there's nothing like this in the world. There's nothing like this. There's not a story like this in any religion on the planet. From antiquity to today, there's nothing like this. Glory to God. Verse 14, uh, Colossians 2, 14. Well, let's start in verse 13. Well, let's start in, no, we'll start in verse 13. And you being dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him. That is, God has made you alive together with Christ, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. The margin of my Bible there where it says handwriting, it says certificate of debt with its requirements having wiped out the certificate of debt with its requirements. Aren't you glad Jesus canceled all of, all of sin's debts? Wiped out, wiped out, glory to God. Which was against us, which was contrary to us. And he, Jesus, has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Glory to God. And then, excuse me, verse 15, having disarmed principalities and powers. We read about in Ephesians, and, and we've talked a lot about it lately because it's just something the Holy Spirit keeps bringing up, where it, where it talks about God raised him from the dead and seated him at, at his right hand in the heavenly places. Remember Ephesians 1, far above all principalities, power, might, and dominion. It's, it's not like these principalities, power, might, and dominions, you know, are still like they were and still have all of the power and authority and Jesus was just lifted up above them. No, that's not what that means. It says he disarmed principalities and powers. He brought them down. When Jesus was made alive in spirit before he ever came out of the ground, he dealt with these principalities and powers. The principalities and powers refer to, to different levels of, of demonic spirit beings, different levels of demonic authorities and powers and so forth. It says he disarmed them. 
The older King James says he spoiled them. Having made, he says, having disarmed them. Another translation says he stripped them off from himself. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it, it being the cross. See, the cross was an emblem of shame. For the Lord Jesus Christ, it was an emblem of triumph. What they thought they were going to accomplish by, by uh, uh, inciting people to nail him to, a, to the cross, they got just the opposite effect. It says that he spoiled, disarmed principalities and powers and made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in the cross. One of my best or favorite, most favorite translations is the Phillips translation here. It says, and then having drawn the sting, see that's, that's what he was doing in hell. Having drawn the sting of all the powers and authorities ranged against us, he exposed them shattered, empty, and defeated in his final glorious triumphant act. Glory to God. That's what we were talking about earlier in the service. He's won the victory. This is the victory he won. He, he defeated all of, of, the, of the host of darkness. He defeated the devil. He defeated Satan. He defeated all of his cohorts. He defeated all of the, of the, of, of the uh, guilt, all of the, all of the punishment, everything that was against us, anything that could ever come against us as a result of sin, Jesus defeated it. He stripped them off from himself. Having drawn the sting of all of, uh, of, all of that judgment of God. You know what that means to draw the sting in other words, he took it into himself as a sacrifice. I don't know what those three days and three nights were like. But thank God when, when, the, when, when justice had been served, the sting of death, he had suffered it. He had suffered the sting of sin, the sting of death, of the, the curse, the judgment. As awful, we'll, we'll, we'll never know, I guess, what that was like. He then disarmed them, took away their weapons. God said, he's righteous, justified, and made alive in spirit. And the first thing is he, he did was he cleaned house. I mean, he went through the regions of hell and, and on his way up, all through the heavens, all the way to the throne of God. He defeated every evil spirit, every, every uh, 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 demonic angel, every, every uh, uh, opponent of God. I mean, he rose up and on his way up, just right and left, just, just defeating them all. Glory to God. And he did it for us. He did it for us. He didn't do it for himself. Why in the world would he come? Jesus, before he came to the earth, before, in, before he showed up in the, in the womb of the, of the Virgin Mary, he already existed for eternity as God the Son. He was already over all principality. He was already in an exalted position. 
He was already victorious. There was no threat. So why would he come here and do all this just to, just, to, just to win the victory over the devil? He already had the victory over the devil. But we didn't. He did it for us. Oh, glory. His victory is our victory. His victory is my victory. His victory is my victory. Oh, glory to God. Woo, hallelujah. Man, I better stop. Just now getting to, 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 the, to the part I wanted to get to. I started to say the good part, but it's all good. <laughs> Glory to God. Let's stand up. Praise the Lord. He's still not finished. I said he's still not finished. He's still not finished. He's still working for us today. You would think that would be enough, but he's still working for us. He's still doing for us. He's still providing for us. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. No, he, he's not finished today. He's still, he's still working. He's still uh, performing certain roles and, and benefits for us. And then the last part of my message, which we'll get to eventually, is we're not finished. Amen. Jesus, remember Jesus said, it is finished. He never said, I'm finished. He never on the cross said, I'm finished. He said, it is finished. He didn't say, I'm finished. He didn't say, you're finished. Glory to God. Aren't you glad you're not finished? Aren't you glad God's not through with you? Aren't you glad that, that you, you can still grow? Aren't you glad there's still some things you can lay hold of that you haven't laid hold of yet? Aren't you glad there's still some things that, that you can accomplish and some things you can experience and some things you can, you can achieve in God that you've not laid hands on yet? Yes. Oh, glory to God. There are places for you yet to this point unrealized, but they're out there and they're for you. We are not finished. Glory to God. And in one sense, we never will be. Because even when that trumpet sounds and we're caught up, the Bible says that throughout eternity, I think it's in Ephesians, I think it's Ephesians, that throughout eternity, he's going to demonstrate his love and his mercy. God is going to demonstrate his love and his mercy to us through Christ Jesus for eternity. God is going to use the church as a token to just demonstrate how good he is. So throughout eternity, I mean, we, we thought we'd think about his goodness now. Throughout eternity, he's just going to reveal more and more mercy and more and more good and more and more and just evidently just lavish it on the church just to demonstrate how good. That tells me his goodness is, is incomprehensible to us right now. And, and, and it will take eternity for God to demonstrate how good he is. It'll take eternity, not 40 years, eternity to fully 
demonstrate. That means, that means because eternity never ends. That means God's love and his mercy can't even be fully demonstrated at all. Because it's going to take beyond forever. <laughs> Is that even possible? Beyond forever. So you go as far as you want to go. There's going to still be mercy. There's still, there'll still be mercy and still be goodness that we haven't seen. Whew, glory to God. Hallelujah. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.